All right, folks, welcome back to Inside the Daily Press. My name is Matt Hall. I'm the editor here. Uh, today's podcast is going to be with Police Chief Ramon Batista to talk about crime stats. Um, we had about a 3% drop in our most recent crime numbers, specifically a 3% drop in our most serious crime stats. That's interesting. That's laudable. That's great. However, um, there's a lot of folks out there who still feel unsafe and they still perceive crime to be rising. They don't feel that those serious crime numbers reflect their personal experience. And the police chief talks about that with us. Um, we actually had a very, 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 very long conversation. We've only got about 20, 20-ish minutes of it here on the podcast. But, you know, the police chief was very distinctly, very strongly, very much of the, the ilk that he understands why people feel unsafe. He understands the perception. He genuinely feels that officers need to be doing more to address the kinds of crimes that aren't maybe captured in the serious crime stats, but are the kinds of things you're seeing on the streets. And we, we talk a little bit a lot about that in the podcast, you know, things like a trespassing call, right? Trespassing may make you feel unsafe if you come across some dude in your carport, but it's not going to be captured in the very serious calls because it's not, you know, a rape, an assault, a burglary, that kind of thing. And so, you know, we have a very long conversation between he and I, um, you've only got about 20 minutes of it here because you've got to cut things down for time and space. And, and some of it was just us, uh, you know, gossiping and talking amongst ourselves before we got into the on the record stuff. But I do think it's worth mentioning that um, his his belief and his perception of the community's perception, I actually found almost unusual in that he was he wasn't dismissive of his own report. He genuinely he says, hey, great, we dropped crime three percent. But he wasn't resting on those laurels in any sense. He was very much pushing for what he can do to address the perceptions and the feelings of crime. Um, and then that gets into some of his specific things he wants to do. And we talk about that with reassigning officers and what have you. So some interesting news nuggets in here, a very interesting conversation. Uh, here we go. Police Chief Ramon Batista and Crime Stats in Santa Monica. All right, folks, welcome back to Inside the Daily Press. Uh, we are fortunate today to have Police Chief Ramon Batista with us who is um, going to talk to us a little bit about the crime in Santa Monica. It's always a popular topic, and specifically the 2021 crime stats, which were recently released. Um, so thank you, Chief, for being here. We appreciate it. Why, why don't you, you want to say hi to folks real quick before we get going? Matt, it's good to see you. Thank you for having us uh, and l- looking forward to it. Cool. So so the crime stats were released. You know, the, the headline is that part one, which is considered our most serious category of crime, is down you know, almost 3%, 2.9%. Um, you know, what, what's, your t- what's the takeaway from that? What do you think people should know about these crime stats that were recently released? So, Matt, I think what's always important about crime stats is that, you know, we realize intimately that they are the numbers. They are what they are. Uh, they do reflect a, a decrease in certain areas, but that does not take away. It does not take away the fact that, our community members um, have a different feeling. They have a feeling of um, uh, of less safety in some instances, and we are intimately uh, familiar with that and uh, address that in in our meetings and our and our going around town talking to folks. We understand how they're feeling about this. So, so there's two parts to that, right? There's there's the part one numbers themselves, and then there's the perception of crime and safety in the community. Um, let's let's run through the numbers on part one real quick because those are the the charts that people have in front of them. So, you know, some crimes were up, some crimes were down. You know, it was kind of a mixed bag in different areas. Is there a part of the part one statistics 
that you think is particularly notable? Is there a particular crime, either increase or decrease, that you think is notable or some trend that, that you would like people to understand out of these part one numbers? Look, I'm always um, thankful that things like rape, residential robbery, and, and overall larceny or robbery are down. But what, what always I'm focused on is what's trending up. And I look at crimes related to firearms use or aggravated assault as being at the top of my list. Um, I think that many of our residents are, have experienced um, the theft of catalytic converters. Um, and even though we've had a couple of arrests in that, in that situation, in that case, uh, there's a number of, of uh, suspects and thieves in Los Angeles and the West LA area that are involved in that kind of crime. Um, arson, I think, is very important. And while though a component of that is related to trash can fires, I'm also seeing mattresses that are set on fire. I'm seeing, um, you know, shrubs that are set on fire. And these are adjacent to buildings. And anytime anyone sees a fire or an arson fire, I think that that alarms folks. Uh, it same goes with aggravated assaults. The randomness of that occurring uh, makes people feel alarmed and threatened. And, and I am very focused on that. I'm, I'm concerned about it as well. So when you ask me what catches my attention, it's anything that goes up and I'm going to ask why, and I'm asking what the numbers are. And even in situations where we're talking about small incremental changes, uh, between last year and this year that signify, signify a rise in, for example, firearms used in aggravated assaults. Um, the number might be less than 10, but what matters to me is the fact that every single one of those cases could have been a homicide. Gotcha. And so, granted, some things were up, some things were down. So you mentioned the things that were up, just so people understand. Some of the things that were, were down, uh, a lot of the property crimes, right? Burglary, larceny were the ones that had had more significant drops. Um, whereas, like you say, aggravated assault was up, arson was up, some of those things. And so the 2.9% the is aggregate, right? That's across all of these categories. And so one of the things we also want people to understand is what, what when we say part one, there are specific crimes that are considered part one. There are other crimes that are less serious that aren't necessarily in these numbers. Correct. And, and I think it's safe to say that some of the perception and the emotional feeling that people have might be tied to some of the crimes that aren't specifically in part one, right? I, I, I told you this before that like, you know, something like a trespass call, right? That's not necessarily captured in these numbers, but when someone walks up and finds somebody sleeping in their carport and that person yells at them or becomes aggressive with them, that might not actually be an aggravated assault, but that's an instance that made someone feel unsafe and caused them to question what's going on with the crime in the city. And so, you know, I think that's a challenge for you guys at the police department, right? It's a challenge for you guys to balance perceptions and reality and, and address, address, address that. It's a complicated issue. So what do you think, you, what, what is the police department doing to address community concerns, right? How do you guys respond when the community says, I feel unsafe? Is it, is it through community meetings? Is it through, do you reference the numbers? Is it through patrols? Like what, what do you, what tools do you have in your tool bag to, to help people who are feeling unsafe? So, yeah. Look, I've, in the last four months, I've met with a lot of community groups, and um, my heart goes out to the stories that I hear about people trying to walk their kids to school and running across someone that's yelling at them and scaring them, their children, uh, or somebody trying to walk out of their apartment and finds somebody that is 
uh, sleeping at their threshold or in their front yard, or as you described earlier, somebody trying to get to their car and somebody is sleeping in between the cars. And, and in the moment they try to either walk by them or get into their car, uh, they're met with a barrage of insults uh, or a, a yelling or just a general feeling of, of, of lack of safety. What are we doing about it? We need more officers in many cases. For example, our help team that goes out and deals with folks that are on the verge of experiencing extreme signs and symptoms of mental crisis. Those are the folks that are out there making contact with folks and, and getting them enrolled into the treatment facilities that they need. Unfortunately, we don't have enough staff on that. So we cover Monday through Thursday. Uh, and my goal is to be able to cover seven days a week uh, and, and to have folks that are working both uh, daytime and evening hours. There are some things that are in the works that are going to be coming, um, but uh, they're still several months away and, and we don't have those resources yet. Um, you know, the police department has had the, the same type of staffing model for 15, 20 years. So it means that the number of officers that are deployed out in the community to handle calls for service, 911, to be able to get out of their car and engage with the community, that number hasn't changed in 15, 20 years. And so what I, th what I am seeing is that in that time, our community has grown, our business districts have grown, our responsibilities have increased, and yet we have not met that moment. And we, I don't believe that we are, despite the best effort of our officers to be out there, um, I totally empathize with our community when they say, I haven't seen an officer through my neighborhood in, in months or weeks, um, because it's true. I mean, when I think about the number of folks that we have that are out, and the, number, the staffing number that we've had for 15, 20 years, it doesn't meet the needs that we have today. Uh, that doesn't mean, though, that we are not going to continually focus and reimagine the way that we go out and deploy. Um, you know, in our last conversation, you talked about um, how long it takes us to get folks uh, into the system, and, and that we've the police department has perpetually been uh, unable to meet their, their staffing. Um, well, in order for us to get to a point in patrol, uh, we are going to be able to, uh, we're going to have to fold in some other uh, services that we provide in order to make sure that our front facing line of public safety, our patrol officers, have more officers to go out there and, and, and deal with the calls for service and be present for the needs of the community. So, so when you say that your staffing levels do you think you need objectively more officers? Does this, a, this council need to increase staffing levels or do you have enough actual bodies and you just have to kind of move them to different positions? Without a doubt, I, there'll be a, a time and place when I uh, go to city government and ask for more officers because uh, we can't meet the needs of the moment. We can't, uh, uh, you know, we are... We are falling, I think, in our effort to be able to meet all the needs of our community, not the way that I think our community expects us to, and certainly not the way that we internally feel that we should be doing. And our challenge right now of, of having to uh, fold in some services sim simply means that there are services that we are, we are providing now that we are not going to be able to do uh, for some days out of the week in order for us to have a more robust staffing of patrol officers. Um, and so it's a combination of our presence and the safety, the safety of the community and the safety of the officers. We can't deploy into our downtown services unit with two officers for the entire downtown district. That's, 
that in my mind is unacceptable. That's not safe for the officers. It's not safe for the community. So, so what kind of services might be reduced while you're trying to rebalance, right? Because you mentioned that officers may move around. So until you get more actual staff, what are the kinds of things that, that people might see? Because I think people are interested in this as a, as a, you know, as a concept, right? Like what can you do? Not, not, I don't mean like you don't have the capabilities, but like there's a limited number of hours in the day, limited number of officers. Everyone can't be everywhere and do everything. So if we need more officers on the streets, that's what people need to see. That's what we've got to do. What are they going to, what other services is going, is going to suffer in order to make that happen in the meantime? Well, let's think about how important traffic safety is to our community. Mm-hmm. Our traffic officers are now going to have to um, not focus on their traffic safety uh, duties. Instead, they're going to be focusing on taking calls for service. Not all of them, but certainly a portion of them. Our, when our you police, say traffic safety, to define that for folks, is that that's um, people looking for speeding and running stop signs and um, illegal U-turns and that, that kind of behavior, right? right? That's what we mean. Hazardous moving violations, yeah. The kind of lead to accidents mm-hmm. and loss of life. Um, detectives. Detectives are going to have to rotate through patrol. So that means for a couple of days out of the week, detectives may not be investigating a case. Detectives may be out taking calls for service. And that's just two examples, right, of the things that we have to evaluate internally about how we're going to um, meet the need of the moment until we can get our staffing up to a place that we are confident. Yeah, I mean, and I think that, so we go back to perception here, just like, like I, I am somewhat alarmed when I hear that detectives are going to have to go and do other things, right? Because to me, that's they have an incredibly important, not that anyone doesn't have an important job, but I think of that as a super important job, right? closing cases, act, actually catching guys who have committed crimes that warrant a detective's attention. That seems quite serious. Um, I would say it's scary, scary, but that's that alarms me a little bit that that's the, that's the staffing position that we're in. Um, what else can be done? I mean, so again, you said at some point you're going to have to go to city council and ask for more staff. Do, do you currently have all of the budgeted positions filled? Like, are you, do you, do we have vacancies in SMPD right now? We still have vacancies. Yeah. Do, do, do you know, I know I'm putting you on the spot with a number, but like roughly, do you know roughly where you're at with that? Vacancies were probably at around 10 or 11. So that, that doesn't seem like a huge number to me. If, if you were to fill those 10 vacancies, how much of a difference would that make to the challenge that you're currently facing? It, it makes a difference. Uh, I think that what is not being factored in is we also have uh, about 25 officers that are injured and not working. Um, something else that's factored in is that a large percentage of our workforce is eligible for retirement. So at any time, we could be losing more officers. Um, and that's, uh, you know, something that always has to be factored in, along with what happens on a daily basis. Officers calling in sick. Um, officers got to go to court. Officers mm-hmm. have to go to training. And we, because our deployment and staffing model is so tight, is so there's almost no room for error, anytime you have officers that then have to take some type of time off, vacation or otherwise, then that creates a vacancy. And then that forces us to have to ask officers to work overtime. And over time, that is, I think, um, not optimal mm-hmm. to their health. Yeah, it's, it's bad for the officers. It also costs more, right, Over because overtime pays. And it, the, the budgetary implications of 
running a department through overtime versus more staffing are not not great. Well, and, and the implications, you know, that I've heard sometimes is that, uh, you know, the officers are enriching themselves by working overtime. And that's not the case. If you think about it, uh, every single one of us, right, imagine that on your day off, you're being forced to work. And I don't think that that's optimal for yeah. anyone. No, I, 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 got, I understand that. Um, so when it comes down to staffing, it's obviously a big one, right? Okay. We need to get more officers on the street. That's going to hopefully increase patrols. That'll put more, more bodies and seats. Great. Totally get that. That seems like a, at least a medium, if not long-term solution. It seems you can't necessarily go out tomorrow and just get officers and, hey, they're all here, right? There's a process involved. So are there, are there more immediate short-term solutions that you, that you have on the horizon? Right. So the short-term solutions right now are that we are going to fold in some oh, of the, the service, service changes. Yeah, okay. The That's, service changes. Those are the things that are short term. The long term, look, it's been proven um, both from a perspective of the reduction in crime and people's perception of safety is that when they see officers, those two things are happening. We are lowering crime and people feel safer. Have those service reductions, are those have those happened yet or are they still in the planning stages? We're still in the planning stages. So Roughly speaking, is that something that you think is going to be, is that like a three-month plan, a two-week plan? Like w- kind of where are you at with, with it, it's, those things? It's certainly within the, the short time range. Near term? Near term. I guess, like I say, this is just surprising. Uh, this is <laughs> these information being presented to me in real time, and so it's somewhat surprising that those that's where we're at. And I don't think anyone in the community has necessarily thought through that is the reality, right? I, I don't think folks in the community have thought through the fact that something that they're currently getting needs to shift or change to address something else they want, which in this case is, is more patrols. So I, I'm just I'm going to be interested to see how the community responds to that because they I agree they want the patrols. I just I don't know how I don't know how folks are going to feel about that when they understand that this is the situation that we're in, right? Well, look, the things we're experiencing are an increase in in the aggravated assaults. Um, here in the last couple of months in this in this fiscal year, um, what I'm noticing is an increase in thievery and assaults in the downtown area. Um, certainly, an increase in in the lawlessness around Palisades Park. Um, there was a uh, there was an arson case. Speaking of, there was an arson case that happened just over the weekend. Um, again, places like. Reed Park or Palisades Park, those are areas where we could have an impact through our public services officers, but we're operating short-staffed in that arena. So, yes. And we should just say that the public service officers are... are Non-sworn. Non, they have, they have the, the green slash beige uniforms. They're, non, they're non-sworn officers, but they represent authority and, and public safety for the city of Santa Monica, and they're an integral part along with our traffic service officers and our police officers in what is the fabric of safety in this community, along with our community and and their effort to um, help us and report the things as they see them, but at the at the parks, the PSOs are a key component to ensuring safety. Um, the way that we are deploying them now, where they have to spend a little bit of time at each park and then rotate and move through, uh, is is a band aid in my in my estimation. And we need more PSOs in order to maintain that public facing. Um, fabric of safety that I'm talking about. So, so you mentioned downtown several times. Is this, do you think downtown is the, 
I want to say the main source of problems or the largest area is like, is that the clear area of focus or is this more of a citywide problem where there's other areas that are, that need equal attention? So generally speaking, I think that our downtown area generates about 20% of our calls for service. Um, the, uh, this, this feeling of safety is my concern for everyone in our city. So eight and a half square miles. Um, but certainly what I'm seeing is that the, uh, the crime that is impacting downtown is now moving its way into surrounding neighborhoods that are near downtown. And all of it alarms me. All of it worries me. When I speak to residents and they tell me about the issues that are affecting them, I understand it. Um, and I want to make sure that we are present to be able to make a difference in those situations because all our residents deserve to, leave, to live peacefully and not in fear of crime or in fear of uh, somebody yelling at them when they're just trying to either leave their apartment or get into their car or walk their kids to school, which I've repeatedly said now a couple times because those things are happening mm-hmm. to folks. And so, so you mentioned there the idea of stuff from downtown sort of bleeding out a little bit. Um, and I think that's something that folks have felt and have seen. And is that, is that just sort of an anecdote or do you, that you've seen as well? You, you've seen some instances or some calls where, where there's things that might not, I want to say they're normal downtown, but you know, a good example is on Wilshire, right? Like on south of Wilshire is downtown, particularly like sec, second through fifth. That's a very downtown area. There's certain things people expect there. Once you get north of Wilshire, you're into the Noma resident, Noma neighborhood, and it takes, what, like 100 feet before you're in a radically different environment, right? Very quickly, you get some single-family homes. I guess you're Wilmot, not Noma. Some single-family homes, um, some apartment buildings. It's a very – and it's my neighborhood. That's where I live. It feels very different, right? And so I know know on my street – and my street's a little bit different because I'm up by UCLA, right? So – it is not unusual for me to see someone wandering down my street who's got all their shit in a, a plastic bag, and and they're, they've got a UCLA bracelet around their their wrist. Like probably, and I should say, it used to be more rare than it is now. But like I know that that's someone who's spent the night in the ER and has been discharged and is now just wandering. Right, that's an instance where something has wandered from Wilshire into the residential neighborhoods. Um, do you feel like you're seeing other calls like that, maybe more in the downtown area where folks are reporting something from the downtown that's wandered over? So let me, let me tell you that um, I know you, you kind of made a, a slight distinction there when you talked about, um, you know, how folks in a downtown area should, to an extent, in your words, I guess, to an extent, kind of like just, well, you know, it's downtown. and They, they expect they, a certain thing. They expect they, some things to happen. They expect some things to happen. Well, I'll tell you that that is absolutely, without a doubt, 110% not my uh, belief about what are either our business owners or our visitors uh, or anyone in our downtown area should have to deal with when it comes to their peace and, and their ability to just live their life or go about business in our downtown area. So our plan uh, is to increase our staffing and to be more present, uh, and to ensure that uh, folks feel safe. And when it comes to these issues that are bleeding into the neighborhoods, that's the area where I am most focused on ensuring that our patrol officers are going to be present and available to be able to uh, identify these issues. When we get a call for service, so here's here's an example. We got a we got a call for service at a uh, at a business that was experiencing a um, a late night, two o'clock in the morning kind of a, a burglary in progress where they were smashing the, the cases and, and just rapidly trying to steal as much as they could. 
I imagine that our officers that responded to that call were coming from across the city somewhere and, and not in a position, not in a position to be able to get to these thieves before they got into their car. So what we do get is that our officers get, get into the area and they spot a car who's speeding out of that neighborhood and it's the only one moving around at two o'clock mm-hmm. in the morning. So they initiate a traffic stop on that car, but then aren't able to aren't able to initiate or stay up with a pursuit because that's that's not what we do. In my view, we need to be present. In my view, we need to be uh, in those neighborhoods in that area to in order to ensure that type of safety. Because, okay, in that case, it's a it's a um, commercial burglary alarm that's coming off. But in what if it's a home invasion and it's a and it's a resident who needs our assistance and we need to be there. And that's when the seconds count. That's when it's important for us to be uh, available and to have the staffing in order to meet those needs. And uh, those are the kinds of things that bounce around in my head. When you ask me, if you were to ask me what worries me, what worries me the most is the safety of our community. The, the fact that I'm dealing with some randomized assaults on folks that shouldn't happen. And whether it's downtown or in your neighborhood, it doesn't matter. I'm going to make sure that we have enough folks on enough patrol officers or PSOs that are mobile and visible and be able to address those and, and meet that need. Yeah, I gotcha. And, and, you know, when we talk about things in downtown, you know, sometimes a good example of that is drunken disorderly, right? Like I, I fully expect that if I'm in downtown to be in the vicinity of some folks who are drunk and loud, and sometimes they get violent, sometimes they get destructive, right? And I rarely expect to see someone uh, drunk and belligerent wandering around like seventh and I guess Idaho, right? Cause they're just not a bar in that neighborhood, right? Like I don't expect them to be there. Um, but certainly they could be right. I just different, different areas. I expect certain kinds of behaviors. And I think traffic is also an excellent example of that where when I'm passing through anywhere close to the freeway, right? If I'm coming down, call it Lincoln or main street or ocean, and you sort of cross the, the the routes where people then try and get on the freeway, I expect those areas on weekends to be gridlocked. It doesn't t- surprise me terribly when I see fender benders over in that area because it's always so incredibly busy, right? I don't necessarily expect that sort of traffic pattern to be in other parts of town just because there aren't as much activity there. Um, however, I get what you're saying, that we're now in a situation where things are bleeding out from those hotspots into other neighborhood areas. And I want to just clarify one real thing, quick thing before we let you go. You talked about, you know, there was a a robbery and you imagined that officers weren't in the area. That's because the nature of the patrols means that officers are always moving around town, right? That it's, it's that they could have been in the area if it happened to occur when they were on patrol. It wasn't that that part of town is not being patrolled. It wasn't that that part of town is being ignored. It's just simply that the way officers have to move around town at any given point in time, they can only be where they are, and there's a whole bunch of geographic area that they then need to travel to, right? It's so, sure, let's clarify. You know, there's, um, in essence, four patrol beats in the city, and when we deploy officers, they go out into their respective areas of, of, of uh, responsibility. So they go into their beat area. But because we're so short-staffed, a limited number of officers are actually having to cover all four patrol beats. And therein lies the challenge that we can't keep officers in their respective area of operations where they're closer to the problems when they arise. 
and they have to come from other parts of the city. Um, again, right, goes back to having um, uh, such tight staffing numbers that haven't changed for 15, 20 years. It makes it so that we're in this precarious place of trying to ensure public safety. Um, and, and it's just, it's time for a change. It's time for us to address and meet the needs of, of today. Gotcha. All right. Well, we'll follow up on that. I mean, I know I appreciate you coming on. I know you've got other things to do today, but we'll definitely follow up on that because I think that's an incredibly interesting point. And that's also something that's going to, you know, it's going to percolate through council. It's going to be, I'm sure the public safety commission will talk about it. Like that's a big, that's a big change. So we will definitely follow up with you as that, as that moves forward and see, see where you're at with it. Um, is there anything else you wanted to talk about or you wanted to say to folks before we let you go? I think that it's incredibly important that our community continue to partner with us. We are uh, one of the best departments in the state, if not the country, in their ability to uh, go out there and resolve crime and, and uh, uh, do it in a way that is constitutional. Um, you know, I am amazed at, at their level of courage and the way that they're able to, uh, to show care in the way that they deal with folks day in and day out. I think I told you the last time I was here that we had had several incidents involving uh, either folks with weapons, uh, folks that have had open knives threatening others. And in each one of those situations, our officers are able to uh, diffuse those situations and, and, and everyone walks away safely. Um, but they're human beings and it's a very difficult, difficult job. Um, and I wanna be able to get us to a place that we are better at ensuring our public's safety, whether it's downtown or in our residence, in our residence, residential areas. And, and that work continues. Um, I am focused. Uh, I care very much, very deeply about our residents' concerns. Gotcha. Cool. I'm sure they will appreciate hearing that. So thank you very much for being here today. We, we appreciate it. Um, and like I say, we'll, we'll make sure we have you back at some point, I guess, in the medium future, when you've been able to get some of the staffing staffing you need and see see how that's going. Sounds good. Thanks, man. Cool. Thanks. Thanks for joining us today on Inside the Daily Press. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts, whether that be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or elsewhere. Music for the Inside the Daily Press podcast is brought to you by The Brig Band. The Brig Band is an LA jam band that has been playing live since 2002. Regular members and guests have played professionally with everyone from Miles Davis, Herbie Hancock, and Stevie Wonder, to The Doors, Fishbone, and Steely Dan. To find out where and when you can hear them live, head to thebrigband.com.